1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. So it seems like a big topic for discussion these days is kids being unprepared to be adults. 30% of college kids can't even boil an egg, and 52% can't change a tire. Okay, so I still don't know how to change a tire unless it's on my bike. I just call AAA, so maybe that one isn't quite as important. Although, I think if I really had to, I could figure it out. I know where the spare is. I can read the directions. I could probably make it happen. But this is a big topic that's going to be a two-part episode. So in this episode, I'll cover some great background information on parenting styles and how they deter from or contribute to raising responsible, independent kids who will become adults. Next week, I'll really get into the meat of expectations by age that will lead to your child flying the nest with the life skills they will need to be independent in place. Of course, kids will always need and want our help and advice. They come up against something that will surprise them, and that's okay, but we want to do the best we can so that they are prepared and resilient and can face life's challenges with confidence. I remember one spring day a few years ago, my neighbor was helping me set up my schedule on my sprinkler system when her 16-year-old walked all the way over from next door, and our houses are not real close. We're on a cul-de-sac, and she's at the long driveway at the end. So he came over to tell her he was hungry, and the time it took him to do that, he could have made himself his own sandwich. I wanted to ask him if his hands were broken, but it wasn't my place. And she said, okay, I'll be right there to make you a sandwich. Another mom that I saw as a therapy patient was complaining about her college boys who couldn't even manage to get their own laundry into the hamper, and how she was always complaining that she had to pick it up off their floor. When I told her she could set the boundary that if it's not in the hamper, it doesn't get washed. Never mind that I also told her that I thought these young men needed to take full responsibility for washing their own clothes. She looked at me floored and said, I can do that? Then the truth came out, that she liked doing their laundry because it made her feel needed. I let her know that as long as she keeps doing it, what incentive do they possibly have to even get the clothes into the hamper? They know she'll keep doing it. Here's the thing. Our job as parents is to prepare our kids for the real world. And there has been a huge trend in kids being pampered into uselessness. They can't cook, do laundry, or many other basic life things skills. Many of them have no resilience, no coping skills, and don't know how to go out and grab life by the horns, how to search for a job, how to be mature and adult in an interview and not come across as entitled. I hear corporate CEOs and human resource managers complaining about the job pool among fresh college grads, that they are entitled and whiny and they can't find very many qualified candidates in that bunch, or any willing to buckle down and put in the work required to be a good team player and grow with the company. So, First, I think it's important to give some history of parenting. This is in the United States, as this is the culture I know and have studied. Some of this may very well apply to other, especially Western countries as well. If you're outside of the U.S., you can see how well this fits the development of parenting and family relationships in your culture. I'd love to hear some feedback or input and or any comparisons or differences from anyone outside the United States. Now, an interest and study of child development and parenting did not start until around the late 1800s. But rather than go back that far, I'll start with the evolution of parenting from the late 1920s. In 1928, a book that became very popular was released called Psychological Care of Infant and Child by John Watson. He proclaimed that children should be viewed as objects to be strictly shaped, molded, and controlled so that they can become efficient tools for society. He strongly encouraged parents to keep children under tight controls and teach a strong work ethic. Parents were advised to give instant discipline, require chores, use threats and aggression, as well as withhold affection to obtain and maintain strict obedience. Any emotions, positive or negative, were considered threats to maintaining proper obedience. Yikes. Now we move into the late 40s and early 50s when a very popular book called Baby and Childcare came out by Dr. Benjamin Spock, who began to really shift the paradigm. What's interesting is it Took a while for this shift to happen because in the 50s, the very authoritarian parenting style I described earlier, children were to be seen and not heard, do as I say, and don't ask any questions, was still very much the norm. Now, this would be my grandparents as parents and my parents as children. There was no room for questioning and definitely not for argument. Corporal punishment, spanking, hitting, especially with things like paddles or belts was commonplace or washing mouths out with soap or other just as equally undesirable substances were all common parenting practices to keep kids in line through fear. Really, this shift did not start to take place until the 60s. Now, before I discuss this shift, I'm going to share a little bit about the outcomes of this authoritarian parenting style. I cover these styles and outcomes more in depth in the Intro to Discipline class on the website at yourvillageonline.com under the Discipline section, but I'll share some of the main points Here. Because these children are always told what to do, they never get practice at making decisions and therefore learning from mistakes. So they tend to be poor problem solvers, anxious, insecure, self critical, low self esteem, passive. They score lower on verbal IQ tests. These kids show a lack of verbal reasoning skills. They may rebel in their teenage years, and girls are at a greater risk of abusive relationships as adults. There are also some positives to the style. Because there are clear expectations of behavior and clear consequences that are consistently enforced, children do grow up with a strong work ethic and tend to rise to the level of the high expectations put upon them, but of course, at the price I already mentioned. Now, we must also consider society. Today, authoritarian parenting will most likely result in even more negative outcomes because children will see just exactly how unfair this treatment is when his or her friends are being treated differently in their homes. And depending on the child, rebellion can spin out of control once they hit those teen years. Back when most kids were parented that way and society had the expectation that you followed rules, didn't ask questions, got married right out of high school, and either got a job or went to college to get a corporate job, children and adults didn't question the expectations and status quo nearly so much. So now, let's move on to Dr. Spock's contributions. What he had to say about raising children and the influence that had. Dr. Spock, Encouraged parents to trust their own parenting instincts rather than work against them to comfort and console a crying or hurt baby or child. Acknowledging and meeting the child's needs was seen as crucial for the child's well-being and healthy future development. He also urged parents to try and see the world from the child's perspective in order to better understand their behavior, needs, and personality. Spock saw it was important in parenting to work with the child to try and understand the reason behind tantrums and disobedient behavior. He also felt discipline Was important and had a role. The role was to help shape the child into doing and becoming what he or she is actually capable of doing at a particular age and stage of his or her development. He was a spokesman for what may be called age appropriate discipline. But in the next episode, I'll get into what that means age appropriate expectations and give some ideas and steps to raising responsible, independent kids who will grow up and be ready to handle life, for the most part, once they leave the house. Again, everyone encounters ups and downs, but with strong relationships, kids will always look to their parents for advice throughout their lives. But first, I want to mention another influential scientist that changed the way people parented, and then also discuss what happened next, the next shift in parenting that went too far and ended up with by and large, a generation of helpless, entitled young adults. As an adult and a mom of a son, both with ADHD, I know navigating the expectations of life with ADHD can be a challenge. But finding the right care and proper tools needed to succeed can be life-changing. With the right resources, you can turn your ADHD into your superpower. Dunn is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Online visits, refills, and a 24/7 care team made for you. Starting to take care of your ADHD is as easy as one, taking a one minute free assessment to see if Dunn can help. Two, booking an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as today or tomorrow. Three, start receiving ongoing care. Enjoy online visits, personalized treatment plan, worry free refills, and 24 7 care. Take a free one minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, insurance coverage, and 24 7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co pays as low as $0. Unlock your path to better focus now at Get www.donefirst.com slash podcast done turn your adhd into your strength this episode is sponsored by by heart by heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple make the best formula in the world using the latest in breast milk science And it's funny because when I talk to people about what I do, I go to networking events and things, I almost always get more parents asking me what to do with their 30-something or 20-something-year-old that's still living at home on their couch and they can't get them out of their house. So first, another very influential scientist and one of my favorites also began to publish his research and books during this time, and that is John Bowlby, and he came up with attachment theory. Now, I won't get into this right here in depth. I'll do a separate episode on that when I discuss attachment theory and attachment parenting, where they overlap and where they differ. But attachment theory in a nutshell is that there is a window in infancy where babies attach to their primary caregiver. Without this, they can suffer greatly, mentally, physically, cognitively and emotionally now before you freak out attachment is a pretty natural and easy process and unless you are leaving a baby to cry on its own for hours at a time throughout the day and not cueing into its needs for food or holding and bonding then you will be fine Attachment disorders are much more common in families where the primary caregiver is suffering from a mental illness, such as addiction or depression, and is unavailable physically and or emotionally to care for the infant. With that being said, high-needs babies are more at risk for attachment issues because they are so needy and it can be overwhelming. My first child was a high-needs baby, and it was Tough. I couldn't put him down for even 30 seconds without him screaming his head off. I remember thinking, I just want to pee or make a sandwich. He did not sleep if he were not being held. My back would get so sore trying to accomplish anything and carrying him around in an infant carrier. I mean, he was eight and a half pounds at birth and he just went up from there. So I'd end up just sitting with him a lot. Car rides were so. Stressful. He'd scream from point A to point B. So I either had to just stress out during a trip to wherever, the grocery store, the doctor's office, or just stay home. So it also can be very isolating. And if you're struggling with this, I talk more about high needs babies and ways to deal with them in the class on temperament on the website at yourvillageonline.com under the development and health section. So now, on to what happened next. So heading into the 80s, parents started to take that working with the child too far and things became more egalitarian. Expectations of children became lower. There was this huge push for self esteem, to build children's self esteem so that nothing could knock them down. So soon it was every kid gets an award. Awards for just showing up, giving a sticker for every little thing. We still see this a lot today. Give a kid a sticker to reinforce good behavior. It's a reward system. It doesn't work in the long term. It's a short-term solution that builds external motivation. Children do for the sticker, for the reward. They don't build internal motivation. And actually it backfires because then they need bigger and bigger rewards to get the same result. It's basic behavioral theory, which I also cover in the intro to discipline class. So soon we've got kids who expect rewards, bigger and bigger ones, who won't do anything without an incentive. If you're interested in learning more about that, I did an episode on the downside of rewards and punishments, and it's episode number 38. So you can go back and listen to that. Now here's the other problem. In society's push to spoon feed self-esteem, you're so great, you're so awesome, you're so special. It actually backfired because self-esteem actually comes from two places, and one of those very important places is a sense of achievement and mastery. Mastering skills, working hard and improving at a sport, at academics, at art, at music. It doesn't mean being the best, but it does mean seeing the improvement with hard work. That hard work pays off. When you get a reward just for showing up to the game, it works against kids working to develop the skills. It encourages laziness and mediocrity. There is a line in the Pixar movie, The Incredibles, that cracks me up every time I hear it. Mr. Incredible says, they keep inventing new ways to celebrate mediocrity. So this is what we call the permissive parenting style. And it's very common today. And here are some common traits. In these homes, parents have no or very lax boundaries and rules and are generally unable to take a firm stance. These parents may threaten, but rarely, if ever, follow through. Kids are often overindulged bought toys and presents when they haven't really earned them, when it's not their birthday, before they're really old enough to be able to handle it and take care of it appropriately. Sometimes in these homes, the balance of power is flipped. The kids are in charge and the parents will often plead with the child to comply with their request. And there are very few, if any, expectations. And obviously there are some very negative outcomes to this permissive parenting style as well. Because so little is expected of these kids, they grow into adulthood lacking many basic skills. They tend to have issues with social skills. They're unable to cooperate with peers, unable to take direction from adults. Once they are adults themselves, the pattern continues and they have issues with bosses and peers. They lack life skills, responsibility, self-discipline, and internal motivation. Emotional regulation, so they're impulsive and therefore prone to acting out, which is part of the social skills they never learned. They're overall argumentative. And you may even know adults like this in your life. You may have seen them at work or in your family. These adults feel entitled. The world owes me. They're highly dependent on others, which makes sense for someone who lacks these life skills they also can struggle with anxiety and depression they are just generally unhappy adults because they lack self-esteem a big part of building that self-esteem like i said is accomplishment if a child never really accomplishes much or only accomplishes in one area but lacks basic skills then he is incompetent he may realize this and feel like a failure and overall they're generally seen as lazy so As we know, kids need to learn life skills. By the time they leave the house, they need to know how to shop and prep and cook and clean and do dishes and laundry, balance a checkbook, write out a check, make a budget, know what should be included and how to live on that budget, how to delay gratification, to pay for necessities first before the things they want, how to save for something big that they want, how to introduce themselves, shake hands, and hold a polite conversation without looking at their phone. So next week, I will get into the nuts and bolts of what we should be expecting of our kids by age. What skills should they be able to do and accomplish around the house or generally in life by what ages and how can we help them get there? Now, if you have a parenting question about this or anything else that you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping.